As I said, we are continuing our time of looking at this Assurance of Salvation uh, series, and we've been asking some, some questions, and, and this is, you see, part two. A couple weeks ago, uh, we did uh, the first part of what happens when a follower of Jesus sins, and we looked at the first John, and we'll get that, to that uh, here in a few moments. But at the end of the service a couple weeks ago, um, there was a song that I tried singing that I totally slaughtered. What happened was, and again, <clears throat> I got to take uh, my, give credit where credit is due. It were, again, the same professor that told me about Murphy's Law and that thing, he told me about how sometimes in your brain, if there is a bunny trail that comes in, that not all bunny trails are good to follow and go down. That was what happened. That last song that I tried singing was not playing. I, I know the words. Uh, as soon as I got uh, driving home, I was like, oh, yeah, those are the words in my head that I uh, couldn't think of. I have the words in front of me now. In fact, they're in front of you, too. So it goes like this. Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am and have. And ever hope to be Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am and have, and ever hope to be all of my ambitions, hopes, and plans. I surrender these into your hands. All of my ambitions, hopes, and plans, I surrender these into your hands. For it's only in your will that I am free. For it's only in your will that I am free. Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am and have. And ever hope to be. That's where we ended two weeks ago. Where the understanding of because of what Jesus has done for us in our lives, now as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to live lives, holy lives that are pleasing and honoring to God. Just as Robin Mark says, our lives are all about all for Jesus. That no matter all that I am, all that I have, all that I ever hoped to be in the future, all of my ambitions, all of my hopes, all of my dreams, everything is now surrendered and say, okay, Lord, what is your will for my life? In fact, that the first part we looked at was 1 John, and, and we saw in 1 John, you know, God is perfect and can have nothing to do with sin. John, over and over again, that first chapter talks about that, that God is light and He has no, nothing to do with darkness. And so we claim that we are, are, are followers of God yet continue to live a lifestyle of sin. Then John says we lie and we deceive ourselves because we're supposed to live 
When a person comes to know a follower of Jesus, we are to live a holy life. We are to live a life that is totally dedicated, that is totally pleasing to God. That's what the word holy means. Totally separated unto God. But then he gets to chapter 2, and that's where we picked up the last time, where it's chapter 2. Okay, what happens as a follower of Jesus? What happens when I, I don't live that way? And the good news is this, that if we as followers of Jesus sin, we still have forgiveness through Jesus. We have that advocate. We have that helper with the Father who is there just as Jesus paid the, or the, the price for our sins so that we could become a, a follower of Him. He continued. His sacrifice continues to pay that price. That as we, 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 we disobey God in our daily lives as followers of Jesus, we can go and we can have forgiveness of that. It's not the one and done mentality. That's what some people think. Oh, if I, if I sin one time, then my salvation is gone. No, we have forgiveness. But that leads us to another question, and this is another question that Paul asked. Okay, so we have this forgiveness. Does that mean that we can live our lives whatever way we want, continue to live a lifestyle of sin, even after becoming a follower of Jesus? Hopefully in the back of your head, we just saw First John in the song they just sang. You can say like, well, that's not entirely true. But that was some of people's thinking. That People think that even nowadays. It doesn't matter how I live. As a follower of Jesus, I can do whatever because I have this freedom in Christ. That's why Paul wrote 1 and 2 Corinthians. The, the believers in Corinth were not Jewish people. They were pagan. And they worshipped uh, false gods. And they worshipped gods, every single god you can imagine. They lived like crazy, had lived crazy sinful lives. And so when they became out of that, that culture, when they became part of being part of a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden they had to work through and they had to ask this question. And some of them came to this answer, it doesn't matter how I live, it doesn't matter what I do physically in this body, because all that it matters is, is spiritually. God saved me. I'm on my way to heaven. That's all that matters. And it doesn't matter how I live. And Paul writes and says, no, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. It matters. And that's why Paul writes here in Romans chapter 6. It matters. How we live our daily lives matters. What we choose to do and what we choose not to do matters. Why? Because God is a holy God. And God desires for us, and we are obligated. That's that phrase there in 1 John. We are obligated when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we choose to follow Him, we are obligated to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. But Paul, in the book of Romans, just so you know where, where we're at, Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, Paul initially starts in, in, in the book of Romans from the half of Romans, uh, the second half of Romans chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 11, he explains this great gift of salvation that God has given to us. Chapter 12 to the end is, now here's how it applies to your daily life. And so as he goes through the second part of chapter 1, 2, and 3, he explains that every single person in this world is a sinner. Every single person in this world has the same problem. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you live. doesn't matter if you have never heard the name of Jesus before. doesn't matter if you, you live on the other side of the world in Timbuktu. It doesn't matter. Every single person in this world has the same problem, and that is sin. And they are separated from God. But God in His mercy... 
And that's where we get into 4, 5, and 6. Where God in His mercy, He gave Jesus and He, and he gave this great gift of salvation through what Jesus has done on the cross. And it's not anything that we can do that we can't earn this. It is only by faith and only by trusting. And then he goes in, and that's what he talks about in chapter 5, that how was Abraham saved? Was Abraham declared righteous? Was Abraham declared right with God through what he did? No, go back. It was by faith. He was trusting in God's promises. We are trusting in God's promises and what he's done in Jesus. And so then he gets to chapter 6, and he says, okay, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we just keep living a lifestyle of sin just so that everything, so that we can just go back, you know, as, as, uh, as, as so many people think, okay, it doesn't matter how I live, I just fill up my sin bucket, and then I go to God and, and, and say, God, God, forgive me. Forgive me for doing these things. And then it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth the whole time. Should we live like that? And Paul says, verse 2, by no means. If you're following along in your outline in your bulletin, the first point is followers of Jesus. Should we continue to live a lifestyle of sin? Paul's answer, and you can see, is our English translation says, by no means. But what Paul is really saying is, no, 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 and I ran out of space. No, that's ridiculous. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't give us a license to sin. And then we have pull out our as, as with Monopoly so many times, you, you play Monopoly and, and you get into like these chance cars and you get the, the car that says uh, get out of jail free so you don't have to pay to get out of jail. So many times people think that's what my relationship with Jesus is like. And that, that I can live whatever I want and then if I sin, I can just pull out my get out of jail free card and be like, well, God, you have to forgive me. And Paul's like, that's ridiculous. There's a book. If you've never heard of this guy... Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's dead. Uh, he died. Um, lived around in the. He was a German pastor when Hitler came to be in power in Germany. Sometimes he gets a bad rap because he was part of a. He was one of the pastors that was very vocal against Hitler. In fact, he was in this conspiracy, if you want to say, to try to kill Hitler, which then he got captured and. He uh, got sent to a concentration camp in a few days before his concentration camp was, was uh, freed. Uh, he died. But he wrote this book called The Cost of Discipleship. That he says the exact same thing. He says, if you think as a follower of Jesus that you have the license to sin and live a sinful life, that is what he calls cheap grace. You have cheapened the gospel of Jesus. Because Paul says that's ridiculous. Well, why? Why does Paul say that in the verse 2? By no means. We are those who have died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? Why does Paul say that? Because followers of Jesus have died to sin. And at the moment, they become a follower of Jesus. Do you realize that? We, we went through and, said, and asked that question, what happens when a, follower, when a person comes to be a follower of Jesus? And we talked about how he's a new, that person is a new creation. 
Your old sin life, your old sin, that sin nature in you is dead, is buried, is gone. You are a new creation in Christ. You have new life in Christ. And Paul says, listen, that's who you are in Christ. So why would you go back and start living in that sin again? And so to, and to illustrate this exactly kind of what happens when a person comes to follow Jesus, he uses this illustration, and then Paul's illustration is, is baptism. Now one of the things that you will see as you go through these last couple verses is you know, sometimes people will look at verses 3 and 4 and what Paul is saying here, and he's thinking, oh, Paul, Paul believes that you, that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that baptism saves a person. That's wrong. But what Paul is saying is it's a picture of what happens when a person becomes a follower of Jesus. Because you have to understand the early church mentality of baptism. And again, we saw that when we looked at that the first question of how does a person become a follower of Jesus according to the Bible. It's that when the people there at Pentecost said, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Turn from your sin. That's repentance. Be baptized. Publicly declare that you are now going to follow Christ. That's what baptism in the early church. That's why if a person wanted to, that's why, again, you look through the book of Acts and you see that, that the Ethiopian eunuch, and as he's reading Isaiah 53 and as Philip is there explaining to the Ethiopian eunuch, he asks... He asked Philip, why can't I be baptized right now? And Philip's like, there's no reason. If you, know, if, you, if you want to declare that you're a follower of Jesus, let's do it. And there, miraculously, there was, some, there was a, a lake that, that was right there. Baptism in the early church, they weren't saying it saved you, but it was that public decoration, that picture of this is what's happening to you. As you publicly declare, I am now going to follow Jesus Christ. Nowadays, we've broke that. Early church, if you wanted to be a follower of Jesus, you were baptized immediately. Well, what happened throughout the early church history is, is all of a sudden these people coming out of these pagan uh, cultures started to say they wanted to follow Jesus. And so they, had, they wanted to make sure that they were really genuine wanting commitments. And so they came up with these 40 days, and that's where Lent comes from. These 40 days of discipleship that they would go through to learn about the Gospel of Jesus and then be baptized on Easter Sunday as a public decoration that I am choosing to follow Jesus. Let me stop and just say this. Again, baptism doesn't save you. But if you have never been baptized as a follower of Jesus and you would like to be baptized, come talk to me. We will... Sometime, uh, maybe February or March, we will plan a baptismal service down in the Fellowship Hall, and we will give you that chance, that opportunity to say, I choose publicly, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in the early church, this is what the mentality was with baptism. There's an illustration to what happens in our hearts, and that's what Paul is saying in verse 4. He goes on and says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Now when we do baptism here, we have our baptist our baptistry is down in our fellowship hall that we actually have a cover over that we serve uh, desserts on for our potluck. But it is it is one of those ones where where you sit 
I've never had, uh, I never, last time we did a baptismal service here about a week, year and a half ago, this was my first time, so I actually pulled it out and it was, got into it to figure out how I was supposed to do it, because normally when I do baptism, I've always done it either in a, in a lake or in a, a baptistry where you stand. And so as a person comes into the baptistry here, we have them walk in. We have them sit down so their back is facing to the larger pool. And usually as I tell them, and we kind of coach them a little bit beforehand, so you'll hold your nose and then your left hand, make sure you grab it, your wrist. And everybody asks, well, why is that? Because as you go under, you don't hit me in the face uh, with your other arm. Now, I haven't got a black eye yet, but that's the reason why. But I ask them usually three questions. Sorry, I ask them two questions. Number one, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And then number two, it's almost like in a, in a real sense the marriage question, are you willing to follow Jesus in a sense forsaking all everything else? Are you willing to follow Jesus above and beyond everything else in this world? Then I will tell them, okay, plug your nose, hold your arms, and I will say, the person's name, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I baptize you. And then we plunge you. Now, we're going to keep that person under for a little bit. That's why I have pictures and not actually a live person doing that. But as the person is standing in that water or sitting in that water, the, the person is dunked under the water. And what Paul is saying here in this verse is that person's old, sinful life is being buried symbolically, and, and again, we don't really think about this with what happened in baptism. We think, oh, this is a cool thing that you, 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 you go underneath the water, you come up, and, and you get all wet, and you have to change clothes, and, and so forth. But symbolically, this is what's happening. You are, that water is, is, in a real sense, is like the earth. And what you're saying spiritually, what you're doing physically is, is spiritually, you were dead. You were in, you were separated from God. And you understand that you need that Savior, Jesus. And He's the only one that can give you that new life, that can restore that broken relationship, that can make you friends with God. And that picture is that as you are going underneath that water, you are bearing, you are, you are in a real sense, when you have funerals, what do we do? We drop the body into the ground and, 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 and then we cover it. We're burying our old sinful lifestyle. And then, and again, it's not that long, as I bring you back up, this is what happens. Just as Christ was raised from the dead. The person is raised out of the water. That person has new life in Christ. And that's why it's a big joyous celebration. I have never been to a baptismal service like the one that, of the church that, the, that Marguerite served at in Philadelphia. One Sunday I was visiting uh, the church there, was, uh, I believe it was uh, Cornerstone Church. And the testimonies of these people, I mean, Philadelphia is Kensington. And if this is the neighborhood that if you go to Philadelphia and if you hear, uh, if you watch the news of Philadelphia, this is the neighborhood uh, probably 75% of the times that you will hear uh, on the news. Uh, this is one of the roughest sections in Philadelphia. 
I was in the second roughest section in, in um, Frankfurt, just a little north. But when you go to their baptismal service and you hear the testimonies, this is how my life was. I was a drug addict. I was a drug dealer. I was a horrible father. A drunk. Abusive parent. And then I met Jesus. And my life was totally changed. And as they give testimony, and then they go into the Baptist tree. And as they come up, you would think you're at the Philadelphia Eagles football game. The yells. The celebration. The whistling. I mean, they get it. That life change takes place. That's what the baptism is all about. You are buried, as Paul says. You are buried with Him through baptism in the death. You understood that you were dead. You understood that apart from Christ, you were dead, helpless sinners before a holy God. But you've been raised to new life. Just as Christ has been raised from the dead. And then Paul says this at the end. To the glory of the Father. That's why, how Christ is raised through God's, the power of God. We too may live a new life. And in the Gospel of Jesus, like if you want a new beginning, if you want, if you want a new start in your life, this is what the Gospel of Jesus is all about. Your past your old sinful lifestyle is washed away, is gone, is buried. And you have new life in Christ. And Paul says, you've been raised to new life so that you may live, so that you may walk. You may live and walk in that new life. We are to live in this new life. And again, that's why Paul Admirably goes back to that question of so does it really matter how we live? Does it really matter how I live as a after becoming a follower of Jesus Christ? And the short answer is yes, it does. And the reason why it does is because we are to live holy lives that are totally dedicated to God. Because we our old sinful life or that sin nature is dead, is buried. That's what we did when we come to know Jesus. And that's what baptism signifies. We buried it. And it's no more. And when we rise again out of that water, that symbol that we are that new creation in Christ, our sinful lifestyle is dead. And I know there's a lot more as a, again, it's one of those things as we go through these next several weeks, there's a lot more to flush out about the, how, the God's Spirit, how God gives us His Spirit to empower us to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. How these fruits of the spirits, just we're not supposed to try these things to get, oh, I gotta try harder to do these things. No, these is as we surrender our lives to God and as we allow God's Spirit to work in us, we naturally become more like these things. We can't try to do this. But this is what happens. And so many times, so many be- people, and again, that, that mentality that, that so many times people think, well, it doesn't matter how I live. I can do whatever because I'm free in Christ. And Paul says, don't you understand? Don't you understand what Jesus has done for you? 
there's a life change that takes place. Your old sinful life is buried. And you now have that new life in Christ. And we are to live. That's the final point there. We are to live in this new life. We are to live a life that is totally dedicated, that is holy, that is totally dedicated, separate for Jesus Christ. Again, it goes back to that question. Uh, we saw that question, you know, what would Jesus do? And I go, it kind of got, again, that movement kind of got goofy. But that's a question that we need to be asking. At my job, when I'm at Walmart, when I'm at the post office, with my neighbors, as a follower of Jesus Christ, how does Jesus want me to live? How can I be Jesus to them? I may not agree with them, that's okay. But how can I be Jesus to them? How can I show people the love of Christ? How can I live in such a way that I can show the world that I am a follower of Jesus Christ? That's what that's all about. In a few moments, we are going to celebrate with uh, communion. And again, it's just a reminder. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need that constant reminder of this great gift of salvation that God has given to me. Even as a pastor, sometimes, especially this time of year, you get, I get so busy and with the different things and that, that sometimes I need that reminder and be, and be like, you know, what really is important? And get back to fix my eyes upon this Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Everything else is secondary. But it's all about the Gospel of Jesus. And that reminder, this is who I was before Christ. I am a helpless sinner in need of a Savior. Because of God's love and mercy, God the Father didn't treat me the way that I deserve. But instead, He sent His Son. That's what this time of year is all about. That reminder of how much God loves us by sending His one and only Son who would eventually grow up and would go to the cross to die upon that cross to pay the penalty of your sin, of my sin, so that we can have hope, so that we can have this newness of life, so that we can live a life that is pleasing and honoring to our Heavenly Father.